Well, good evening. Good evening. It's good to have this number back out with us for our second half of our worship service. And we've got several scriptures we're going to look at tonight. And our focus tonight is Jesus Christ. As well it should be. When we, uh, we think about who our Savior is, who our Savior was, and who He represents and who He represented. The reason why I use past and present tense because Christ came to this earth, as we very well know, to save our souls. His task before the Father, the Father set before Him was to seek and save the lost, to create His kingdom, leave back that example that you and I are to follow or measure ourselves according to, and die on that cruel cross for the remission of our sins. Now, Jesus did a whole lot of things that we don't have an account of. Even the Bible tells us that uh, Jesus did many wonderful things that are not even written in this book, but the things that are written in this book to, to believe that He is who He is, He's the Son of God, and He came to offer us everlasting life. So as we begin this evening, we're going to talk about the glorified Christ. But before we talk about the glorified, the glorified Christ, we need to look at what type of life Jesus lived. Jesus lived in a different time than, than you and I did, or do today. And uh, when he was welcomed in his beginning of his ministry, and toward the end of his ministry, though, some, certain folks didn't welcome him, him anymore, especially according to those, those Jewish leaders, if you will. They, they were the ones who consented to his death. And of course, whenever uh, Peter got up and gave that first gospel sermon in Acts chapter 2, he he. Proved, reproved unto them that you through lawless hand have just crucified this same Jesus who God made Christ. And of course, 3,000 of them was cut to the heart and wanted to get rid of those sins. Today, you and I have that same opportunity to have those sins remitted, to, to stand pure, whole, and justified in God's eyes. Now, our Lord and Savior... When he was immersed or baptized for the remission of sins, he, he didn't need any sins. He was just baptized to be to, uh, to fulfill righteousness. We think about sin. We think about our Lord and Savior not abiding in sin, but why did he have to be immersed? And sprang up immediately out of that water. What did God descend out of the clouds, his voice say? Behold, my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. When we look at ourselves and our relationship to God, or relationship with God, is God pleased with us? Does He look at our service? Does He look at our, our, our stature? Does He look at our, the person who we actually are? Not the person who we uh, try to pull the wool over people's eyes. That's not what I'm talking about. What I'm talking about is the person that God sees. Is He pleased with us? Whenever his voice came down out of the heavens with a thunderous sound, it says, Behold, my son in whom I am well pleased. That says a lot. When you become God's child, when you put Christ on through immersion or baptism, God smiles at you and says, I am well pleased. But as we step through Christ's life, as we, after his resurrection, some wonderful things happen. Well, first off, let's look at Stephen's vision, then Paul's vision, and then John's vision. Well, first off, let's look at Stephen's vision in Acts chapter 7, 
verses 55 through 56. What's happening here? Of course, i got a lot to discuss, so here we go. Whenever we see Stephen being stoned for proclaiming that Christ is the Son of God. Oh, those Jews, they didn't want to hear that, did they? They, they didn't want to hear that. So what did they do? They proceeded to stone Stephen to death. <coughs> In that process, Stephen saw a vision. He saw Jesus Christ sitting at the right hand of God. Oh, that's right. My, my apology. My memory escaped. He was standing. We're going to be sitting at the judgment seat of Christ. He was standing at the right hand of God. Thank you, Mark. For whenever we leave this earth as God's children, we have been rest assured in Romans chapter 8 that we will be resurrected or in like manner become joint heirs with Christ. When Christ departed from his disciples in Matthew, I'm sorry, John, let me get this right. All my scriptures are in my Rolodex is turning. In Matthew, whenever he says to the disciples, I go on to prepare a place for you. Y'all remember that? What did he say that type of place was? A mansion. A mansion. Well, there's place for us all. So Stephen sees Christ at the right hand of God. In like manner, do we see ourselves at the right hand of God after judgment day? Now, I'm not saying that we can actually see that by our own eyes. I'm talking about, can we see it through our faith? Is that our goal? We need to set goals in our life. This needs to be a big one. To stand before our Heavenly Father, to hear those words, well done. That's way better than the alternative. To be in the presence of God when John writes in Revelation chapter 21, and he tells us, that God said that they shall be my people and I shall be their God and I will be with them. That's encouraging. To know that the creator of everything will be with his children. Stephen sees this vision. Do you think he take, took encouragement that at the end of his life? To see Christ at the right hand of God. To know without a shadow of doubt that the promises of God are real. The reason why I say real. Sometimes our faith is wavering. Sometimes we tend to doubt ourselves. Like when bad things happen to us or, or certain things happen in our families. A lot of people want to blame God. That's not God. That's not the effective working of God at all. That's Satan in his workings. We go all the way back to our discussion this morning with Adam and Eve. And that's the reason why bad things happen to wonderful people. It's because of sin. So we see Stephen's vision of Christ at the right hand of the Father. Think of Christ full circle, if you will, as he was in heaven, tasked to come to this earth, give the people, that is you and I, through the decades and through the many years, 
His word, His law, His instructions, His example, His sacrifice. And that sacrifice, of course, resulted in his, in his death. And his death that he died, he died once for all. Never to have death no longer having dominion over him ever again. Reason why I say full circle, Christ started out, started off with in the presence of God, him being one third of the Godhead. And he has returned. And he's been there patiently waiting to turn those keys back over to the Father. Now let's remember Paul's vision in Acts 26, verses 13 through 15. I'm going to turn there with you this time. Acts. Because Paul was a wonderful, a wonderful uh, study. I got too many bookmarks in my Bible this time. Remember, Paul gives his recount of his interaction with our Lord and Savior. And that was Acts chapter 26, verses 12, 13, excuse me, 13 through 15. At midday, O king, along the road I saw a light from heaven brighter than the sun shining around me and those who journeyed with me. And we, when we all had fallen to the ground, I heard a voice speak to me and saying in the Hebrew language, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Is it hard for you to kick against the goads? So I said, Who are you, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. But rise, stand on your feet, for I have appointed you for this purpose, to make you a minister and a witness both of the things which you have seen and of the things which I will yet reveal to you. I will deliver you from the Jewish people, as well as from the Gentiles, to whom I now send you, to open their eyes in order to turn there from their darkness to light, and from the power of Satan to God, that they may receive forgiveness of sins and inheritance among those who are sanctified by faith in me. Let's talk right there in verse 18. You notice what Paul is recurring his encounters on that road to Damascus when Jesus is speaking to him. He gave him a wonderful task, a wonderfully difficult task. He says, I'm going to deliver you from these Jewish people and I'm going to send you to the Gentiles. If you look very closely, at Paul's vision, you and I are included in that vision. Whenever we study any of the writings from Paul, any one of them, he's still that chosen vessel taking the word to us. 
so that they may what? Turn from their darkness or wickedness to righteousness to receive forgiveness of sins and inheritance among those who are sanctified by faith in me. So we see Stephen seeing Christ. Now we're seeing Paul hear Christ with that light shining on and the, and the voice thundering from the heavens. I don't know about you, but that's a pretty good kickstart on somebody's ministry, is it not? You're right, Brother Mark. It was brighter than... We can't even hardly look at the sunshine without any eye protection. on. If not, you're going to harm your eyes. Imagine this, the, this light, bright, bright shining, and a voice coming from it. Would you not be afraid? These folks all fell down in fear. Even at the time Saul, he asked, Who are you? Plainly spoken, I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. Notice what he says. Persecuting? At this time, he was Saul, still dragging Christian folks off into prison, killing them, fining them. So we look at a complete turnaround after this vision. Going from Saul, his name changing to Paul, and doing many wonderful works after that. The difference between the two so far, Stephen died, at the, at, died in this stoning. Now, yeah, Paul was stoned. They, those, those who were stoning, they actually thought they killed him. No, he, he lived on. There was many more good works coming from Paul. So we see Stephen seeing a vision and dying. Now we see Paul having a vision and somewhat dying and then continuing to live. The reason why I say somewhat dying, he died to his sinful acts. He died to persecuting Jesus. And he lived after that moment to be in the service of Jesus. We need to think about that very carefully. But you notice what Jesus said to Paul at that time he was Saul still. I'm sending you to the Gentiles so that they can turn from their wickedness to receive forgiveness of sin. Just because Jesus died upon the cross, that does not offer, does not automatically give us remission of sin. It doesn't. Requires action on our part. We have to trust in Jesus. First off, we've got to believe that He is the Son of God and then trust in Him. The reason why I say trust in Him, this is why. If we trust in Jesus, we're going to resemble Him. We're going to be, our best foot, be on our best foot in the service of God, just as Jesus the Son was. So we see Stephen's vision, and then we see Paul's vision. Now let's turn to Revelation chapter 1. Verses 12 through 16. <clears throat> Again, that was Revelation chapter 1, verses 12 through 16. 
make sure I get it right. Yes. Right. <clears throat> then I turned to see the voice and spoke with me, and having turned, I saw seven golden lampstands. And in the midst of the seven lampstands, one like the Son of Man, clothed with a garment down to the feet and girded about the chest with a golden band. His head hair were like wild wool, as white as snow, and his eyes like a flame of fire. His feet were like fine brass, as if refined in a furnace, and his voice was as sound as many waters. He had in his hand he had in his right hand seven stars, but of his mouth went a, heart to, a sharp two-edged sword, and his countenance was like the sun shining in its strength. Who do you think he's seen? He's looking at Jesus. Jesus revealing unto him in this uh, vision that he's showing John. We see Jesus' Uh, vision or the, or the way that we see him or would be able to see him, we see it changed after his resurrection. Right? We, we see that differently. And it's revealed to hear from John is completely different. We think about the words that Jesus spoke. You ever think about them often? The words that he, that he taught his disciples and those who even came became apostles with John being one of them the words that come out of his mouth is like a two-edged sword is it not the word is a two-edged sword is a two-edged sword what does that mean for you and I we think about our uh, the armor of God we do realize the word is part of our armor that is our offensive weapon. The Word. In our everyday walks of life, the old devil's going to be tempting us, is he not? He's going to be tempting us. He's going to be trying to pull us away from God. He's going to try and put thoughts into our minds and, and try us. And he custom tailors his temptations to each and every one of us. Just as he did Jesus. In John chapter 2. We think about the, the weaknesses that we have. Jesus was weak in his fasting. And Jesus was at a weak point and Satan used it against him. We need to be careful with our weaknesses and our infirmities. When we use the word to guide us in our everyday walks of life, when we use... God's Word. We receive encouragement. We receive promises. Just like this morning, we spoke of warnings. When God, God warned Noah about the flood, of course, He warns us today about the fire that's going to melt everything. God fulfills His promises. So we see John and his vision of Jesus... <clears throat> At the right hand of God. In heaven. A little more detailed than Stephen. Because these, these revealings was from Christ himself. Let's look at it a little bit carefully. 
Then I turned to see the voice that spoke with me in verse 12. And having turned, I saw seven golden lampstands. Well, this rectifies—not rectifies, but is an example of the seven churches. And in the midst of the seven lampstands, one like, a, like the Son of Man, clothed with a garment down to the feet and girded about the chest with a golden band. His head and hair were white like wool. Oh, excuse me, his head and hair were white like wool, as white as snow. And his eyes like a flame of fire. That's hard for us to swallow. To, to see our Lord and Savior with a, with a eyes like fire. Do you know how to refine gold? Let me ask that. What's, well, gold's pretty precious, right? It's a very precious metal. It's worth quite a bit. Do you know how you uh, purify gold with fire? You melt it, impurities come to the top, you rake the impurities off, and you let it cool and, get, and solidify again. It's more pure. So what purifies us in our everyday walks of life? You ever heard the term trial by fire? You ever heard that term before? My mind goes to Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Now their, their trial by fire was a little more literal. But not a hair on their head was scorched. Their clothes didn't even smell like smoke. The king was astonished. He, he said, did I not? The king said, did I not throw three men into that furnace? But behold, I see four walking around, and one of them is like the, the, the Son of God. There was four of them walking around because Jesus was with them, protecting them. Why? Because they trusted in God. They didn't do anything wrong. They weren't going to fall down and worship any other idol, have no other God but that one God. So the, 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 eye, the eyes of flame of fire of Jesus were going to be tried by fire. Do you think he sees what you're doing? Does he not hear your voice when you pray to him? He knows exactly what you're doing. He exactly knows exactly what you are saying. Verse 15, his feet were like, like fine brass as refined in a furnace and his voice as the sound of many waters. This sounds like someone in authority. Strong feet, strong authoritative voice, <laughs> a quick thought. How many of us want to be against that? After Judgment Day. Of course, before Judgment Day. How many of us want to be against that? You know what the world says? Me. The world says I want to. Especially those who haven't come to the knowledge of Jesus or God's truth. That's what they say. I want to be against it. My thought goes to this. Whenever Saul made his conversion from following the letter of the law to being obedient by faith in Christ, by trusting Him enough to, to make that complete turnaround, that was a big deal. That was a really big deal to turn Saul, at that time he was still Saul, to turn Saul in the service of God. 
Imagine if Christ would come to every person just like that. Well, be a little different story. In my mind, it would be a different story. Because there's a lot of folks who say, well, God doesn't even exist. How do you rebuke that? How do you rebuke that at all? You can't because you witnessed it yourself. The sheer definition of faith. Belief in things unseen, but with the evidence, but with the proof of the evidence that exists. The Bible tells us that there's a God. We can prove that there's a God just by looking around. We made that example of our brains. Remember that example? How do you remember things? How do you store it? How do you store memory? By electrical impulses and chemicals in your brain. That's all I need. Ain't that amazing? The person who created that is able to save your soul. He's able to save my souls. He's able to save those souls, all those who turn from their iniquitous ways. So, so, so we see John's vision. So now we have seen or covered again Stephen's vision. We've covered Paul's vision. Now we've looked at John's vision about the glorified Christ. when we think about our Lord and Savior how do you see Him? many of us have different ways of how we see Him are we thankful that He went to the cross for us? I hope we are a couple of lessons ago it's been a few weeks ago but how do we show that thankfulness? by living however Satan would have us to live that's not, we have, that's not how we show how thankful we are. We show thankful of a glorified Savior by faithfully serving Him. That's how we tell God, thank you. We can say it all day long, but I think we rather need to show Him that we're thankful. So we had a couple of examples. We're going to go back just a little bit. So we see Stephen's vision. We see Paul's vision. Now we've looked at John's vision. It's a little bit different, a little more authoritative, a little more uh, colorful, if you will. So we see the works of a glorified Christ. He prepares a place, as we made uh, mention in John 14, verse 2. When he tells his disciples, I go on to prepare a place for you. I said Matthew earlier. It, was, it is John. It's John chapter 14 in verse 2. Whenever he tells his disciples, Hey, look, I'm, I'm leaving. You, this place, you can't follow yet, but I go on to prepare a place for you. There are many mansions, but we're not so I would have told you so. And he continues on in John 14, 6, where he says, I am the way, truth, and life. No one comes to the Father except through me. So we see the works of a glorified Christ by going on to prepare a place for us. This is exactly what he's doing right now, still, continually. <coughs> he also is making intercession for us in Hebrews 7 and verse 25. Until that day that he hands the keys over to the kingdom of the Father, there will be no leave for an intercession then because we'll all be in the presence of God. As, as we make intercession as we have a go-between or a, if it were a uh, in a hall of justice or a courtroom or something like that 
you would have a lawyer speaking on your behalf. Guess who our lawyer is spiritually speaking? That's Jesus Christ. He's giving our petitions to God. He's relaying those things that we need to get to God. And we have to go through Christ. He also promised the sending of the Holy Spirit. In John 15, verse 26, and chapter 16, verse 7. When he promises his disciples, the Comforter is coming. He also promises of a helper coming. Imagine this. Uh, you're, you're starting a new church. This is exactly what he did. He started the New Testament church, which is what we're used to today. We're, we've been studying the church, I know, for quite some time now. Even a hundred years, right, Brother Jim? So we think about this. If you're starting something new and you don't know the entirety of it, you have bits and pieces that Jesus has spoken to you or taught to you, how nervous are you going to be going up and teaching something that you are unfamiliar with? It's nerve-wracking. It's plumb terrifying. What if somebody has a question that you don't have an answer for? What if what, all of the what-ifs that come to mind? What was the purpose of the Helper? What was the purpose of the Comforter? That is the Holy Spirit that Christ is promising these soon-to-be apostles as He is going to depart. What's the purpose of it? For, that, for them to have the knowledge of God's Word. To be able to discern to be able to interpret, to be able to relate, to be able to teach. All those things was the purpose of the Holy Spirit abiding in the apostles. So as Christ left, and the Holy Spirit was given to those apostles, and all of a sudden they had powers that they couldn't even fathom. Imagine that. It is your task to start teaching this New Testament against serious opposition. The creator of this, the orchestrator, the, uh, the testator of this has died because he was teaching it while he was here. They killed him. How nervous do you think they were by teaching the New Testament? Would you be nervous? I'd be nervous. But do you think God took care of them? God took care of them. But they had a help. They had the helper. They had that Holy Spirit helping them along because it was a time of when power was needed. Gifts. To be able to heal folks. To resurrect the dead. To be able to speak in languages that you had no uh, coherence with. You didn't even understand how to speak that language, but folks was understanding what you were saying. All these powers come from the Holy Spirit. Why? Because the church was brand new. Why did, she, why did Jesus have perform miracles? Why did He do those things? To prove that He was from God. So folks would listen to Him. Pay attention. Notice, to notice Him. Why did the apostles to be had had the power to perform miracles the same thing to prove that what they were speaking was from God because no one else could do that but God God working through these righteous folks 
and the church is what it is today. Accompanying his messengers in Matthew chapter 28 and verse 20 when he gives the great commission. What does he say? In verse 20. Previous to this he says, Teach them all things that I observe for you to teach and lo, I will be with you always even to the end of the age. Amen. So what does that mean for you and I? He's telling that to his apostles. Is, is a portion of the Holy Spirit given unto us? It is. Acts 5 verse 32. If you're obedient to God, a portion of the Holy Spirit is given unto you. So we see accompanying his messengers to being there with them even into the ends of the age. And he promises that unto his disciples. He promises that to you. Have you ever uh, uh, moved into a new place? I know most of y'all have, have moved into a a new place and and you've might even done it two or three times that's folks that's the one thing i despise is moving and melissa and i has only moved once out of our parents house into our home and we've helped a bucoos of people i think i need to sell some trailers that's what i think a truck competitors i won't quit asking me anymore right no, they won't. <laughs> Martin, no, they won't. <laughs> so okay how many of us like moving into a brand new, not considering all the stuff, how many of you like moving into a brand new home? Everything's clean and order, and, you, and you've got a, a blank plate, a blank palette to put your dishes, your washing machine, all this. It's blank, right? Do what you want to as you see fit. How do you think Christ feels when he moves into that heart that's freshly changed? Freshly convinced that what they need to do is to put Christ into their life. How do you think he feels? Glorified. He feels wonderful. Because guess where he abides if you are faithful to God? He abides in your heart. And he promises he will be there with you even unto the ends of the age. Amen. Whenever we think of Colossians chapter 3, verse 4, when Christ, who is our life, when he is abiding in us when Jesus returns that second time, guess where you will be? With him in glory. That's encouraging, is it not? He promises to stay with us. How about crowning the victors in 1 Peter chapter 5 and verse 4? And also Revelation 2, verse 10 and 11. Crowning victors. What does he promise as you remain faithful? Unto, un, unto your death. What does he promise? A crown of life. And verse 11 says, if you do so, remain faithful, that second death ain't going to harm you. That, that is that lake of fire. <coughs> the term salvation comes to mind. You know what salvation means? It means saved from. Saved from what, God? The fall. Salvation. So he promises... A crown to victors. What does that mean as a victor? If you overcome all these things, that crown of life or eternal life waits <coughs> for you. And in conquering all evil powers, Revelation chapter 17, verse 14. Let's turn there real quick at the end of this lesson. I get my pages to cooperate. 
Revelation 17 and 14. <clears throat> These will make war with the Lamb, and the Lamb will overcome them. For he is Lord, the Lord of King of kings, and those who are with him are called chosen and faithful. Do you think this war is happening right now? War with Christ? War with God? Remember the uh, Hebrews chapter 10 verse 27? Or excuse me, 26? Acts 27 as well. Remember that? For if we sin willfully after receiving the knowledge of the truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins, but a certain fearful expectation of fire judgment. This is 27 now. That will devour the adversaries. This is happening right now, is it not? Those living their lives of iniquity make war with the Lamb, and the Lamb will overcome them. <coughs> when is this overcoming going to happen? When they hear those despised words, depart from me, you worker of iniquity. So my encouragement is this. Take notice of Stephen's vision. Take notice of, at the time it was Saul or Paul, take notice of Paul's vision as he gives a recount of it in Acts chapter 26. And also take notice of John's vision. And all the wonderful things that Christ continues to do us today as he is glorified. So turn away from your iniquitous ways if you need to. Turn away from Satan. Tell him you want nothing to get behind me, Satan. Get away just as he told Peter. Says, Peter rebuked him. He says, no, we're not going to let you go to Jerusalem. Remember what he told Peter? Get behind me, Satan, for these things must be fulfilled. But Jesus told Satan to his face, if you will, get away from me. In other words, I want nothing to do with you. For nothing in this world can separate me from my Father. That's the mindset that we need to have, the one that Christ had. So as we continue to help Him to be glorified by being faithful, He promises that everlasting life. Folks, let's be so whenever we leave from this building and we take our next steps in the days to come until our Savior comes again or until we breathe our last. So do you need to get right in the eyes of God? Why don't we do so as we stand, as we sing the song of invitation?